a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is where fellow wrong thinkers gather to get their heads right. Not that they're, you know, waiting for me to tell them what to think, but just to challenge the narrative, to think a little deeper, to look beyond whatever's being spoon-fed to us by highly paid, blow-dried, and very skilled propagandists, and maybe get a little good, get a get a better idea, a little better understanding of the world around us, as well as what we can do about what's taking place. So, I'm glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, thanks for coming in. <clears throat> I'm going to do my best not to scare you away. At least, uh, you know, give it, give it a couple minutes here. I might get uh, worked up to a little bit of a rant. But generally, I do what I do with a minimum of partisan baggage. In other words, I, I'm a lot less concerned with the labels of left and right and conservative and liberal and, you know, Republican, Democrat. That doesn't matter to me as much as the principles that are at stake. I've got some pretty interesting things to talk about today. Our program is brought to you by HSLAmmo.com, also by Pure-Light.com. It's also brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. That should be of special interest to my friends in Utah. If you are one of the many, many people relocating to uh, the Beehive State, Heather's the one you need to talk to to get yourself squared away for a mortgage. Toot sweet, because... You can't uh, you can't dilly dally when it comes to uh, you know to pulling the trigger on a home. Competition's very fierce right now. We'll talk more about that coming up. Let's discuss graduation speeches. I know this is like a month after a lot of people were hearing their graduation speeches, but something that I have noticed is most graduation speeches are pretty long on platitudes, pretty short on wisdom. That's why I love the speech that Donald J. Boudreau would have given had someone just invited him to speak. So he's the, he'll, he's the first to admit this is unsolicited advice, but it's good advice. Some very highly applicable information. Listen to what he has to say. He says, yet another college graduation season has come and gone without any school inviting me to deliver the keynote speech. Sigh. <laughs> but being hopeful, I prepared my talk and put my voice in good trim to deliver it. Here's what some 2021 college graduates missed. Dear class of 2021, congratulations on your achievements so far. He says, thank you for giving me the honor of addressing you today. The one thing that I can promise you is that your life outside of these ivied walls will be an adventure filled with unanticipated twists and turns and ups and downs. If you think you know today at the age of 21 or 22 what you'll be working on and will be passionate about 25 years from now or even 10 years from now, he says, think again. That's a good thing. How dreary would your life be if its full course were already set and you knew your future with as much clarity as you know your past? No surprises, no aha moments, no discoveries, no creativity. Now, he says, of course, you'd also suffer no disappointments or failures. And he says, you can't be disappointed when something disagreeable occurs if you've known for years that disagreeable thing would happen. 
nor can you fail if your future is predetermined. After all, a predetermined future is one over which you'd exercise no control. So he says, rejoice that some disappointments await you. Be pleased that you can, and believe me, will experience failure. Now, Donald J. Boudreau says, hopefully these obstructions along your life's road will be more like pebbles than boulders. But he says, even with the possibility that a veritable Gibraltar will one day obstruct you along your chosen path, do recognize that you would not truly be living if you could totally immunize yourself from disappointment and failure. He says, were such immunization possible? You'd wind up playing a role in some drama or comedy, but your experiences in that oh-so-safe world would not in any way be created by you. He says, the society that you're about to enter as a working adult is dynamic, commercial, and entrepreneurial. Sure, it has plenty of imperfections that wouldn't exist were our species closer to perfection. Reality could indeed be better, but it's still great, in large part because it is open-ended, unpredictable, a work in progress, able to turn this way or that depending on what you and others like you choose to do. So here's the basic rule of this society. It owes you nothing, for it is nothing more or less than an, accompli- an, astonishingly, <laughs> an astonishingly complicated web of ongoing interactions among billions of individuals. And he says only an individual can owe anything to anyone. So unless you identify as a flesh-and-blood person who received something from you, or you identify a flesh-and-blood person who received something from you in return for that person's as-yet-unfulfilled promise to give you something in exchange, well, no one owes you anything. You who are now adults are owed only what you earn from other individuals. Just as love and kindness that you give to family and friends returns to you as love and kindness that you receive, the more goods and services that you make available to strangers, the more will be the goods and services that will return to you in the form of income that you earn. And he says, never be ashamed of this income if you earn it through honest dealings. Indeed, be proud of it. In the market, you earn income only if you improve the lives of others. After all, your employer will employ you only if you improve your employer's life. Your customers will buy your products only if those products improve their lives. Your income is the measure of the outflow of your contributions to the material well-being of countless strangers. And in earning income in the market, you'll earn, in addition, something more profound and more important, a sense of accomplishment and self-respect. But he says your sense of accomplishment will be real and your self-respect justified only if you exercise your creative faculties and work in ways that are worthy of admiration. Only if what you receive from others comes through just and voluntary exchange for what you contribute to others. Now listen to this next line. He says, I cannot imagine a more nauseating feeling than the one I'd suffer if I found myself lavished by strangers with a prince's ransom of material goods and luxuries, yet I knew that I did nothing to earn such a bounty. I'd feel poor because the part of me that matters most, my soul, would in fact be poor. He says, there's no need to check your programs. I am indeed an economist, yet also one who did in fact suggest that your soul is more important than your wallet. Ultimately, he says, you'll not measure your life's achievements by consulting your bank or brokerage accounts. 
Instead, you'll measure your achievements by consulting with what the founder of my discipline of economics, Adam Smith, called your impartial spectator. The impartial spectator is you, observing yourself as honestly and fully, as impartially as possible. Your impartial spectator knows you better than does anyone else, and the approval you'll seek above all is that of your impartial spectator. The reason for the paramount importance of your impartial spectator's approval is that he or she is far more difficult to fool than are even those family members and friends to whom you are closest. Your impartial spectator knows if you stuck to or violated your principles in an effort to get ahead. Your impartial spectator knows just how much you sacrificed, or not, for some worthy cause. Your impartial spectator sees more fully than does anyone else the man or woman behind the mask which blocks others' view of you. Your impartial spectator will shame you while others praise you if the spectator knows that you are undeserving of the praise that is heaped on you. And your impartial spectator will calm and fortify you while others mock you if the spectator knows that other people's criticisms of you are based on misunderstandings or faulty or incomplete information. You'll want to please your impartial spectator above all. Now, Donald Boudreau says, in a trivial sense, this desire to satisfy your soul by pleasing your impartial spectator is selfish. You please your impartial spectator for your own peace of mind. But he says, recognize that this impartial spectator channels your selfishness into a desire to do what is right, not only for you personally, but also for others. By doing what's right for others, he says, I don't mean what so many other graduation speakers have in mind when they insult you with facile pleas to give back or sacrifice for your country or enter public service. Instead, he says, I mean for you to be honest and hardworking and creative in all you do and to do all that you do with a generous spirit, generous in interpreting other people's motives and capacities and generous in recognizing that their humanity and individuality are just as important as your own. Your selfishness, if you wish to call it that, in seeking the approval of your impartial spectator will push you to do and be all these unselfish things. So he says, pay close attention to your impartial spectator. He says, to, he tells him, don't focus so much on trying to change the world, but do the daily little things that nonetheless will change the world in small but very real ways. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. What a great graduation speech. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a very quick shout out here to uh, one of our primary sponsors on the program. That would be the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. If you live in the Intermountain West, I don't have to tell you, there are a ton of people moving here. I saw this in Utah when I was living there. I've, I've since relocated to Idaho. It's happening here as well. Bottom line, though, is if you are one of the people coming into the Intermountain West, particularly if you're going to land in Utah, you need to know about the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Why? Well, because this is the hottest real estate market most of us have ever seen. And when you find the home of your dreams, you better be ready with your financing right now. 
time is not on your side. And Heather has decades of experience in the lending industry. She understands what the lenders need. She understands what borrowers need. She can get it done and get it done quickly. From VA loans to traditional loans to reverse mortgages or even refinancing your existing home loan, contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They're in tw- in uh, St. George, Utah, 619 South Bluff, Tower 1 and 2. You can call 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So what was this I was hearing yesterday? President Joe Biden said Tuesday the federal government's vaccination efforts will shift from max va- mass vaccination sites to literally knocking on doors in some instances to get people inoculated against the coronavirus. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. And it, look, uh, well, I, this is a touchy subject, at least it, it, it's touchy for all the algorithms out there. I mean, just the fact that I have the word vaccination in the show notes, not to mention that the uh, the algorithm, perhaps the AI is listening for words like vaccination so that it can, you know, pop up the warning. By the way, <laughs> be careful and only believe what we tell you. But I have to ask you to, to at least consider this. If this vaccination, if this push to get people inoculated against COVID-19 is so good, if it's so well thought out, if it is, if it is the panacea that is being presented as, why are they having to go door to door? Why is it so, why is there such a push The harder they push for this, I mean, a friend contacted me yesterday in New Mexico, I understand, $5 million lottery. They have a $5 million reward. Some lucky person is going to get vaccinated, and because of their vaccination, they're going to be entered in the drawing, and they may win $5 million. And I'm certainly not trying to suggest, you know, nobody should be vaccinated. I'm just saying... If it really was that great of an idea, would they have to bribe people like this? Would they have to send people door to door to remind them, hey, we'd like you to get your shot? I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I have to check myself on this and I have to make sure. Am I just being contrary? Am I just, you know, if they said you are hereby forbidden from getting a vaccination, would I run out and get one just because you can't tell me what to do? (laughs) I don't think I would, but. You know, maybe there's something to that. So if they start using reverse psychology, we'll we'll understand why. But it just seems the push is so strong. I mean, I saw today where a judge was giving someone conditions for their probation. One of the conditions was you have to go get the jab. Does that seem right? How about the various employers that say, if you want to work here, you have to have the jab. Now, Obviously, you can vote with your feet. You can go somewhere else. What about the employers or the the businesses? I, I heard of this uh, recently. There was a there was a fairly large industry, a large uh, um, manufacturer in southern Idaho, who said our vendors, the people that we contract with, who provide services and products to our business. If they don't show that they're vaccinated, we will not do business with them. And I mean, it would be one thing if if it was like, well, you know, this really is saving lives right and left. 
but I don't know that it is. And, and I'm not saying that from the standpoint of, you know, I'm a doctor and I've, I've vetted all this medical information. I just don't think they've had time to tell. I believe it's still very much experimental at this point. And, and I'm hoping that it's working well for people. But man, I am suspicious anytime the pressure gets turned up. Any, it's not coercion yet. But to send people door to door, this is what uh, Biden said yesterday. He said, we are continuing to wind down the mass vaccination sites that did so much in spring to rapidly vaccinate those eager to get their first shot and their second shot, for that matter, if they needed a second. Now, he says, we need to go to the community, to, to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oftentimes door to door, literally knocking on doors to help get to the remaining people protected from the virus. I don't know. You know, I I don't put a lot of stock in politicians, especially those who are like, you know, uh, we're going to get 70% of U.S. adults vaccinated by July 4th. Well, Biden fell short of that goal. The figure currently stands at just over 67%. Frankly, I see that as kind of a, a victory for at least uh, somewhat for freedom. I don't like to see government win, even if it has the best of intentions. It's just, it's bad precedent. But now the Biden administration hopes to address concerns causing vaccine hesitancy with its more targeted approach to communities. But it's unclear how that door-to-door strategy is going to be received, especially among the 10% of unvaccinated folks who cited conspiracy theories or misinformation about the vaccines. Skepticism of drug companies or general anti-government or anti-vaccine sentiment in a morning consult poll that asked why they won't get the shot. So I don't know if it's being unreasonable. For the record, I'll tell you the reason that I remain in the control group and remain unvaccinated is simply because someone is trying to force me. I won't be forced. And if that makes me a bad person, you know, for, for being contrary and not to doing what they're telling me, sorry. But this is, this is a habit born of long experience with uh, controlling type people, particularly bureaucrats and politicians. The harder they push, the more insistent they become, the more resistant I become. And notwithstanding, you know, the fears of, well, there's a new variant out there, the highly transmittable uh, Delta variant. Oh, it's spreading. You know, you should probably get it. I don't think they can even guarantee, though, that the vaccination protects against that. Why is there such a push to get everybody, as many people as possible? I just, you know. I, I'm not telling you this is what you should do, but for me, there are more than a few red flags that are waving right now that make me say this is this is just this is way too insistent. I mean, used car salesmen would be like, "Whoa, back off a little there! <laughs> you're you're pushing real hard." I am going to suggest, you know, this is a decision that each one of us has to make. If your decision is to get vaccinated, you have my blessing. Not that you needed it, but. I say do what to, what you feel is in your best interest. But I ask you to please think about these kind of things. You know, weigh the pros and the cons, the risks versus the benefits. And if you decide this is the best thing for me to do, well, then do it. More power to you. But at the same time, 
the respect that I'm extending to you in trusting you to make that decision for yourself, I ask the same be extended to me. And in my case, I'm just, I'm not going to be forced. And the harder they want to force me, the the more resistant I will become. Because there's something more at stake here than simply avoiding, you know, the coronavirus. There's a matter of personal freedom. There's a matter of standing for that freedom, claiming my rights, using them, defending them. But it all starts with taking a little more time to think about it. So that's probably where we should start. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And welcome back to the show. Hey, just so you know, if you want to do a deep dive on any of the topics that come up in a particular episode... I also publish show notes with each of those episodes, and those show notes contain links. And many, many times the articles contained within those links contain even more links. Bottom line is, if you want to become better informed, you've got to be willing to dig. You've got to be willing to, to do more than just a you know, cursory scan. I saw the headline. I think I know what this is all about. You want to own your own worldview? You've got to be willing to dig in and learn. So that's why I do my daily show notes. That's, you know, it's again, it's not that I have all the answers or even that the various commentators that I'm sharing have all the answers. They just may have some facts to share that can help expand your understanding, whether you agree, whether you accept them or not. That doesn't matter so much. The bottom line is, are you getting a more well-rounded or broader perspective than you had before? And if that's what your goal is, then, yeah, you've got to be willing to pay the price. Do the homework. Learn to think like an expert. Trust yourself to understand the things that you're learning. I just fear that there's a lot of people out there who have been successfully persuaded. No, no, no. You're broken. <laughs> We're going to talk about this actually in an upcoming segment here about how, you know, you people, some people love to be treated as a child. I'm not sure that's a good idea. Because the people who are assuming the role of parent over us right now don't really have the kind of interest and tender regard for us that a real parent would. At any rate, check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. There's also a separate page on my website called uh, Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And these are some of the various news aggregator sites, some of the various places that I go on a daily basis. Many of these I've subscribed to so that I get daily email updates. And they'll send me, you know, a half dozen to a dozen different articles on different subjects. I can pick and choose, you know, what interests me, what, uh, what seems relevant, what I want to learn. But I specifically choose these sites because they seem to be much more fact-based and less narrative-based. They're not carrying water for a particular political point of view so much as they're trying to espouse principles. And the principles specifically that, uh, that I find that they're, they're espousing are things like personal freedom, freedom of conscience, private property rights, free markets, etc. You know, speaking the truth in an age of lies is uh, considered a revolutionary act. 
And I don't think there are very many people who understand this more clearly than former Mumford & Sons band member Winston Marshall. Now, I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. He's leaving Mumford & Sons, and it comes back to, you know, he, he had expressed approval or appreciation for a book written by a journalist by the name of Andy No, who has been up close and personal, as in on the ground, beaten into a brain bleed by various Antifa members. And Andy's written a book about what Antifa is trying to do, these little black-clad revolutionaries out there, you know, with their Marxist rage and their violence. You know, we're supposed to believe, well, it's just an idea. It's not really an organization. Andy seems to have proof that, that says otherwise. And apparently Winston Marshall said, yeah, it seems like a good book. Well, that was enough to get cancel culture in full swing against him. And so now he's leaving Mumford and Sons, a highly successful band, not just to protect his former bandmates, but also to maintain his personal integrity. And this is what he had to say. Winston Marshall says, I loved those first tours. Bouncing off a sweaty stage in Edinburgh Catacomb, we then had to get to a gig in Camden by lunch the next day. We couldn't fit all four of us and Ted's double bass into the Volkswagen Polo. He says, I think it was Ben who drew the short straw and had to follow by train with his keyboard. Winston Marshall says, I remember blitzing it down the M6 through the night, the lads asleep beside me. We made it, but sadly my voice didn't, completely shot by exhaustion. I had to mime my harmonies. Being in Mumford & Sons was exhilarating. He says, every gig was its own adventure. Every gig its own story be it odysseys through the Scottish islands or soapbox shows in Soho, where would, we, where would we sleep that night? Hostels in Fort William, pub floors in Ipswich, even the travel lodge in Carlisle maintains a sort of charm in my mind. He says, we saw the country, and then, as things miraculously grew, the world. All the while doing what we loved, music, and not just any music. These songs meant something. They felt important to me. Songs with the message of hope and love. I was surrounded by three supremely talented songwriters and Marcus, our singer with a a one-in-a-million voice. A voice that can compel both a field of 80,000 and the intimacy of a front room. Fast forward 10 years and we were playing those same songs every night in arenas, flying first class, staying in luxury hotels and being paid handsomely to do so. I was a lucky boy. He says, on my stage... To my left, Ted, a roaring bear with his double bass flying high above him. To my right, Ben, with his unparalleled passion for music, pounding at the keys. And Marcus, leading us with all the might of a hurricane or all the tenderness of a breeze, depending on what the song demanded. What a blessing it was to be so close to such talent as theirs. It will be with immense pride that I look back at my time with Mumford & Sons. A legacy of songs that I believe will stand the test of ages. What we've achieved together has vastly exceeded the wildest fantasies of this crap kicker from Mortlake. Now he says, who in their right mind would willingly walk away from this? And the answer is, it turns out, I would. And he says, as you might imagine, it's been no easy decision. At the beginning of March, he says, I tweeted to to American journalist Andy No, author of the New York Times bestseller, Unmasked. Congratulations, Mr. Andy No. I finally had time to read your important book. You're a brave man. Posting about books had been a theme of my social media throughout the pandemic, and I believed this tweet to be as innocuous as the others. How wrong I turned out to be. 
Winston Marshall says, over the course of 24 hours, it was trending with tens of thousands of angry retweets and comments. I failed to foresee that my commenting on a book critical of the far left could be interpreted as approval of the equally abhorrent far right. Nothing could be further from the truth. Thirteen members of my family were murdered in the concentration camps of the Holocaust. My grandma, unlike her cousins, aunts, and uncles, survived. She and I were close. My family knows the evils of fascism painfully well, to say the least. To call me fascist was ludicrous beyond belief. Now he says, I've had plenty of abuse over the years. I'm a banjo player after all, but this was another level. And owing to our association, my friends, my bandmates were getting it too. He says, it took me more than a moment to understand how distressing this was for them. Despite being four individuals, we were, in the eyes of the public, a unity. Furthermore, it's our singer's name on the tin. That name was being dragged through some pretty ugly accusations as a result of my tweet. The distress brought to them and their families that weekend, I regret very much. I remain sincerely sorry for that. Unintentionally, I had pulled them into a divisive and totemic issue. He says emotions were high, and despite pressure to nix me, they invited me to continue with the band. That took courage, particularly in the age of so-called cancel culture. He says, I made an apology and agreed to take a temporary step back. Rather predictably, another viral mob came after me, this time for the sin of apologizing. Then followed libelous articles calling me right-wing and such. Now, though there's nothing wrong with being a conservative, when forced to politically label myself, he says, I flutter between centrist, liberal, or the more honest bit this, bit that. Being labeled erroneously just goes to show how binary political discourse has become. I had criticized the left, so I must be the right, or so the logic goes. Why did I apologize? He says, Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote, Rub your eyes and purify your heart, and prize above all else in the world those who love you and wish you well. Winston Marshall says, In the mania of the moment, I was desperate to protect my bandmates. The hornet's nest that I had unwittingly hit had unleashed a a black-hearted swarm on them and their families. I didn't want them to suffer for my actions. They were my priority. Secondly, he says, I was sincerely open to the fact that maybe I did not know something about this author or his work. Churchill once said, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And so, he says, I listened. I've spent much time reflecting, reading, and listening. The truth is, my commenting on a book that documents the extreme far left in their activities is in no way an endorsement of the equally repugnant far right. The truth is that reporting on extremism at the great risk of endangering oneself is unquestionably brave. I also feel that my previous apology in a small way participates in the lie that such extremism does not exist or worse is a force for good. So why leave the band Well, this comes back to what we had talked about here a couple weeks ago when I mentioned this story. It's the idea of Live Not By Lies, an essay published by Solzhenitsyn. We'll come back in just a moment and just share the final thought here from Winston Marshall, formerly of Mumford & Sons. I commend this article to you only because this is a perfect example of what courage looks like in our day and time. Something we all better be familiar with. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. This is where you find courage and camaraderie to stand for whatever you hold to be true. Keeping in mind that we're all works in progress and, you know, we don't have, uh, we haven't cornered the market on truth just yet, but, you know, we're working on understanding the world around us. I'm sharing this article from Winston Smith. This is an essay published on medium.com about why he left Mumford and Sons. And isn't it interesting that, you know, originally, you know, when, when he saw the backlash, you know, of people coming out against him, well, if you're condemning Antifa for their, you know, unquestionably violent activities, that must mean you're endorsing, you know, right-wing violence, which he, of course, wasn't. But facts seldom matter to people who are ideologically possessed. And so as he, as he talks about, uh, you know, apologizing, hey, I'm really sorry if this offended anybody, he says, I felt bad about it because I felt like I was participating in the lie that such extremism doesn't exist or that somehow it's a force for good. So he, was, uh, he read an essay from Alexander Solzhenitsyn titled Live Not by Lies. And Winston Marshall says, I've read it many times now since the incident at the start of March, and it still profoundly stirs me. And this is the quote he picked from it. And he who is not sufficiently courageous to defend his soul, don't let him be proud of his progressive views. Don't let him boast that he is an academician or a people's artist or a distinguished figure or a general. Let him say to himself, I am a part of the herd and a coward. It's all the same to me as long as I'm fed and kept warm. So Winston Marshall says, for me to speak about what I've learned to be such a controversial issue will inevitably bring my bandmates more trouble. And he says, my love, loyalty, and accountability to them cannot permit that. I could remain and continue to self-censor, but it will erode my sense of integrity. No, my conscience. I've already felt that beginning. And so he says, the only way forward is for me to leave the band. I hope in distancing myself from them, I'm able to speak my mind without them suffering the consequences. I leave with love in my heart, and I wish those three boys nothing but the best. He says, I have no doubt that their stars will shine long into the future. I will continue my work with Hong Kong Link Up, and I look forward to new creative projects as well as speaking and writing on a variety of issues, challenging as they may be. That's pretty powerful stuff. And again, it's it's a matter of integrity I mean when's the last time you had to make a choice that caused you to have to step away from something that mattered to you to part with so called polite society I know not many of us want to believe this but I can promise you such a decision comes into the life of every man woman or child at some point probably in our best interest to be prepared and know where we stand And realize that uh, the eyes of others are upon you. Not that you're trying to earn their adoration or even their acceptance, but others who need the example of courage may be looking to you at this moment to stand firm so that they understand it can be done, even if it's painful. All right, let's shift gears here. Um, Mentioned earlier, 
that some people love to be treated as a child. I'm not one of those people, but I found an excellent article on how leftists want to be your parents and how they're using the power of the state to reduce you to perpetual childhood. Now, this is particularly talking about, uh, you know, culture war, censorship, social justice warriors, and so forth. But I want to warn you, this can, this, this, patronizing attitude and this idea that, uh, you know, somebody needs to be your parent can exist on the right as well. The danger sign is when they start to use the power of the state to reduce you to perpetual childhood. This is from a website called thedeclination.com. Thales is the author. And it says, David Hogg recently claimed owning 22,000 rounds of ammunition should put you on a list or something. As with all such claims, one wonders what the threshold of being on a list might be. Can you own 100 rounds without being on a list? 1,000? In reality, of course, the left generally wants to track ammunition the way guns themselves are tracked. Read the Giffords.org position for more on that. Whether you have 22,000 rounds or just a handful of 22 long rifle, the left wants to know and track. In some ways, it reminds me of helicopter parenting writ large. So many leftist arguments boil down to the fact that they want to be your parents. They want to divvy up everything fairly. They want to monitor what you say on the Internet. They want to know how much of this or that you have and regulate where you are permitted to go and the method by which you travel. Of late, I've seen a number of liberal acquaintances mentioning that masks should become a permanent feature of society because flus and other sicknesses can kill old folks, too. And how greedy and selfish is it not to wear a mask even if you're vaccinated and put others at risk of catching a cold? Wear your mask, little Jimmy, and put on your helmet when you ride your bike. Now, the author says, I'm old enough to remember when it was the right who wanted to censor things. Harry Potter was satanic or something. Now, Harry Potter's author is accused of being transphobic, so out with that, I suppose. Your leftist parents have determined that it's not good for you. So many liberal causes have at their root a desire to control everyone else. Climate change implies we must be told how much energy we are permitted to use, what we may drive, where we can go, and what we can purchase. Gun control implies that we cannot be trusted to defend ourselves. Knife regulation in the UK is particularly hilarious to me. Put that butter knife down, Jimmy. Only grown-ups can have those. And by grown-ups, we mean agents of the government, of course. Extensions of political will. We might trust a soldier with an M-16 in battle, but when he leaves the military, he clearly cannot be trusted with an AR-15 in private life. Mommy government decrees it. So when you look at social justice language and style, it has a profoundly childlike spin to it. You have safe places and everyone's feelings are paramount. If you're having difficulty with college, there are spaces full of teddy bears and positive reinforcement to help you manage. There are trigger warnings to be had, like everything rated PG and above needs to come with a disclaimer. We must have warning labels on everything. It's not enough even to say that smoking may cause cancer. We must put bold, giant language on every pack. Smoking kills! Sugary drinks should be regulated, but remember, fat is beautiful, body positivity, and everyone is special. It's as if life in a left-leaning society is an adult-centered parody of kindergarten. If you're rich, the question is always, did you bring enough for everyone? If not, of course, your wealth is illegitimate and immoral. One mass shooter, probably on a cornucopia of meds or just plain crazy, goes in and shoots up a place and suddenly nobody can have guns because there are a couple of insane loons. 
Get your universal health care, too, because mommy government will fix all the boo-boos. Censorship is important because mommy government says nobody can say anything mean on the Internet. See, in the liberal mind, this author says, nobody is an adult. Everyone is a perpetual child and must be treated as such. That means you can't be trusted to drive a car, own a firearm, earn your own money, or choose your own doctor. And if one argument doesn't work on you, they'll just try another, and another, and another. If gun control doesn't do it, then censorship, maybe, or climate change, or righting historical wrongs committed against people long dead by people long dead. Maybe it's universal health care, or maybe it's ending homelessness. If one cause doesn't guilt you into becoming a ward of the state, some other one will. It's like throwing spaghetti against the wall until one sticks. And if you disagree with all this, go into timeout, little Jimmy. You're clearly a white supremacist. (laughs) That's pretty accurate. Leftist moral supremacy is a kindergarten kind of taunt, too. It's, I'm better than you, neener-neener. If you prefer private retirement plans to government ones, you clearly want to push granny off a cliff. Therefore, the liberal who does not want to push granny off a cliff unless she's a Republican is morally superior. Wheel out the bat signal of ultimate virtue. Little Jimmy is not a Democrat. Nah, 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 nah. I wonder what percentage of leftists had severe daddy issues growing up. Either way, I suppose there's a reason we call it the nanny state. And hell, maybe there are people out there who need a perpetual mommy. Government can do everything for them. But for the love of all that's holy, can they not drag the rest of us back down to kindergarten with them? Some of us actually like being functional adults. That's pretty uh, pretty direct. But I also think it's it's right on the money. Now, my goal here is not to get you fired up. I don't want you, uh, you know, feeling like ah, now I can direct my anger at the political left, and you know, you can they can uh, receive all of my wrath. This is more a call to ask: Doesn't it bother you that uh, that you're being treated as if you were not just a child, but a kind of a simple one at that? Of course, any self-respecting person would, you know, not not want to be treated that way. You'd want to be treated, you know, as an individual who can make his or her own choices. Well, here's the good news. You don't have to ask permission to think of yourself as an adult and to behave as an adult. You just have to start acting like one. Yes, it will give people with control issues fits, but that's their problem, not yours. This is The Brian Hyde Show.